0: Desideratum is a Latin word, meaning things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates the art of telling and the journey of listening to stories with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith, friends. Episode 6, The Hedonist. Our featured story comes from Alison Ragsdale, a proud Scott Lass, who writes emotionally charged novels that often require tissues. I want you to listen to how her own personal resets, her adapting to life's unexpected events, has shaped her characters and her storytelling. I love what she has to say about supporting characters, grounding her stories and the gift her father gave her that shows up in her character's lives she has lived a global life and walked a winding path
1: my first career was in professional dance so i trained from a very young age um, to be a professional dancer and i wanted to focus on ballet and contemporary dance Um, and i went to a, a theatre school in England and I graduated from the school and I, I worked in the field of dance for a number of years. Um, not so long as I wanted in the classical ballet because I had a very early back injury but I did work in in um, more contemporary and modern dance for a number of years until um, another injury meant I had to give it up and then I found myself in that that sort of scary situation where you've only really been focused on one thing your whole life and then all of a sudden reset like what am I going to do um, and so I kind of fell into administration personal assistant to someone in a big international company in the UK and he became a mentor and he kind of guided me toward marketing I ended up being in a marketing consultant for international hotel chains um, and I would work you know they would move me around the world to open up new properties for them that's where I met my my American husband when we were both working overseas Um, And then around about 2009, I was diagnosed with um, something fairly major and I had to take a year off work, had surgery, um, took me a long time to recover and get back to sort of full health. And when I was ready to get back to work, um, I remember starting to look for jobs in marketing and and my husband saying to me, what do you, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I've got 20 plus years in marketing. I'm going to go back to it. And he said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you what you wanted to do. And I said, I just want to write. Because all through my life, from very, very young age, I've always written, I've always used writing as a go-to for me time, stress relief. Um, it was always my go-to. And I'd written short stories and some really terrible poetry. <laughs> um, which no one will ever see um little bits and pieces um letters to my family when I lived overseas and we were parted you know I would often write long letters to people so it was a big part of me but I'd never really focused on it until that point so in 2010 when I was really kind of back to full health um he said right you're going to do this go for it so I found a part-time marketing position because obviously you can't just jump in and start and I joined a writing group which was the biggest scariest thing I've ever done with regards to writing because it was the first time I'd ever actually shared anything that I had written with anyone who wasn't either my sister or my husband um so that was terrifying but it was the best decision I ever made and then I just was hooked it was just writing every moment that was spare to me and um that first novel was published at the end of 2014, I believe. Um, and it took about three more years um, before I got to the tipping point where I realized if I wanted to do this permanently and wanted to make it my life, then I had to go full time.
0: I think every story, correct, is in Scotland? Yes. Yeah. So i are very centered there as a writer I think you do such a beautiful job of taking us there. Like it feels very much like that is your home. So that's very striking to me that you have had such a nomadic life (laughs) and yet feels so centered in your storytelling.
1: Yeah, thank you, I appreciate that. I think um, it's very important to me um, that that comes through. Um, I left Scotland when I was quite a young child Um, my parents, because of my father's work, moved around the world quite a bit. So we were we were sort of peripatetic family. Um, but there was something incredibly strong, the connection for me with Scotland never left me. Mm. And so irrespective of where I've been over, you know, 40 plus years, um, it's always been home. And my parents retired back there, so they are back in Scotland now. I still have aunts, uncles, cousins, so fam- extended family. Um, and so I always feel when I land in Scotland, there's this sense of like, <sighs> I'm home.
0: Wow. Um,
1: yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because my, my, I have two elder sisters who spent longer there than I did and they don't have that same sort of strength of connection. It's, it's funny, but I think partly because I moved around so much um, mm-hmm. that almost became more important to me.
0: Yes, I could see that that you would, the more that you saw of the world, the more places that weren't home, the more you identify with what is home.
1: Yeah, I think that's true.
0: Yeah, do you go back to the region that you're going to center your story in when you start a new novel?
1: Yes, um, all of the books I've written have been places I have been, I have experienced, I've walked the streets, I've stayed in the BNBs. I've, you know, seen the beaches. Um, because i really do love to get that to to pass that on to the reader that sense of actually just being in the spot.
0: Yes. I just think that's a really that's a gift that you are able to um to reveal different parts of Scotland to to your readers.
1: Oh, well thank you very yeah. much for that. I'm i um i think it is an incredibly diverse country for a small country just yeah. in terms of its geography, its topography, its country um countryside because you have the incredible ruggedness of the West Coast. Yes. But if you go far enough north, you've got tropical beaches yeah. with palm trees and white sand. And and people think this can't be Scotland. You know, it really is quite because of the, the North Atlantic drift and all of that, the Gulf Stream. It's just incredible. Um, and, of course, the highlands, which, well, that's my love. The highlands and islands are my loves. So.
0: Yeah. So the other part of your story, your story that I think is so fascinating is that there have been medical things that have changed your trajectory, Mm -hmm. like dramatically, like Mm -hmm. I was on this path and then now I'm on this path. Mm -hmm. And it struck me as I was reading synopsis for all of your novels, that there are medical things that that do that in your characters' lives.
1: Mm -hmm. It is an interesting sort of... um line that's becoming consistent <laughs> in my books. Um, I think probably the first one that it became personal was with The Art of Remembering, which was the story that was set in the ballet world um, where the main character is an incredibly successful uh, ballet dancer, way way more successful than I ever was. Um, and she has this devastating diagnosis, which pulls her up short. And again, this sense of, oh my gosh, this is all I've ever known, all I've ever done. And this sense of having to just reset and refind yourself.
0: Yes.
1: Um, and that one, again, as I say, was very personal because that really is what happened to me in 09. Um and in terms of the medical challenges, um, I feel like I love to throw my character's giant curveballs and have them figure it out. Um, move on, find new ways to to progress and learn things about themselves along the way. Um, and I feel like I really have had to do that more than once. <laughs> so I think that is probably feeding into um, uh, my tendency to write that way.
0: I love that you're thinking about people's resiliency, that that's inspiring to you, mm-hmm. that their their ability to work through Um, what for some people is a roadblock or what for some people is unsurmountable that you're, that your the point that you're interested in is where they break through from that and are able to thrive that resiliency. I love that.
1: Yeah. And I, because for me, the journey um, is the fascinating part and it's the idea that there is that moment, that tipping point where you can either go down or you can come up. And there and the strength of the human spirit never fails to amaze me, how people can find it in themselves to just get on with it. You know, there's that sense of, wow, I just, I have so much admiration.
0: That's very hopeful. That's really, that is a big component in your, in your writing, I think. That ability to focus on that strength, how people mm. persevere, that's very mm-hmm. hopeful.
1: Well, I do tend to write um, very emotionally charged books. (laughs) And um, yes, I've I've been told the term tearjerker is being thrown around a lot with my books. Um, So it's really important to me also to leave the readers with a sense of hope, of light, of um, triumph over adversity, um, that, that people find ways to, you know, to come good. Um yeah, so that's very important for me as well, because I don't want it all to be heavy and you just need the Kleenex consistently. You know, there has to be upbeat, light laughter. There has to be laughter. Um, I remember um, a friend of mine, in fact, also my sister told me this, that when I've been at my absolute lowest in my life, health wise and otherwise, I was able to find something funny in it. And when I look back, I think, you know, my father was exactly the same way. He, he's always able to find something, some tiny little nugget of humor in the, the awful, awful things. <laughs> you think, how can you laugh? But I think he's passed that to me a little bit. And so I feel I try to do that also in my characters and my stories and have them. There has to be those light moments um, to contrast with the dark, you know.
0: And also about change.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that you are really good at, at exposing people's um, resistance to change, maybe, but also how change happens and how we how we how we take that path. Right.
1: It does. It's inevitable. And we have to learn to embrace it, however painful. Um, again, I think it just comes from having been through so many changes um, throughout my life that, that it doesn't always get easier. Yes. Um but most times I've been through change, whether they've been small or large. Um, generally, it's ended up being for the good. Yes. And that's another message I like to try and give.
0: And I, I think that um, it's wonderful that in your life, your husband was this voice of forcing you to look back inward and say, what do you wait? What do you really want? Like, are you going to just continue on this path that you've been on or what do you really like be introspective, and what are you looking for? And I think that's the other thing that you're capturing in these in these novels is that it's it's in relationship that we learn more about ourselves, right? Like it's the other it's these mother daughter relationships that you write about, or you know these these places where it's an, a secondary or an exterior character from the from the point of view that um, facilitates you know taking the right path or feeling better about the path that you're on.
1: Right. Oh, well. I appreciate you picking up on that. Um, It's true. I I feel like my supporting characters have a really important role in all of these stories, because as you say, there's this sense of like reflection. Um, They are oftentimes the ones who will, who will drop that one line that will make the main character go, whoa, you know, it's a best friend or it's a mother or it's a next door neighbor or someone who, who can be, transformative in that person's life, because I think that's real. Yes, um, It can be someone, you know, you overhear someone talking about you. It can be a friend or a family member or, you know, and I feel like that's important. So I love to have those characters because I find them really grounding. Yes. Um, not just supporting the main character, but grounding the the whole story.
0: Mm-hmm. And, it, mm-hmm. and moving the story along, you mm-hmm. know, being part of what, of the path. Um, yeah. So this, This collection of short stories, uh, The Liar um, is, you released this during the, or at the very beginning of the pandemic, I guess. This was released in 2020. Um, We chose the story called The Hedonist. Um, Can you set that up for us at all, what it's about?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, The Hedonist really was a departure for me uh, big time because it it has that sense of um, magical realism about it. and I really enjoyed writing in that different realm because it, I was letting myself enjoy the tangent, um, stepping away from my more usual arenas. It's a poignant story, uh, but it also has a note of self-acceptance, which I really liked. Um, Amber, the the main character, not to give it away too much before you read it, but... Um, In just a few moments, it's a snapshot in time, a sort of tragic snapshot in time. Amber tells us um, all about her life up to this point, um, all the joys and the regrets um, that she's experienced and mostly about the love she has for her husband and her family, Um, but how I I enjoyed it because I felt like she had very little time to tell her whole tale. Um, And that was a challenge to me. To get it in there to the point where she was ready to go.
0: Yes. I liked it because the way that she sees herself and the way that she's been described by her mother, like it's just, you've just condensed that um, so well. Like I think you just give one comment that the mother had said and you understand their relationship so deeply from this one. you know, thing that her mother has expressed to her, and yet she's, she's not really selfish. You know, I think you're, you are describing this person who's lived really fully. Mm -hmm. um, And, and she even at this moment says something about, you know, is this the ultimate act of selfishness, you know, where I am right now. And Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so she's, she's self-deprecating in a way, I guess, that is, Mm -hmm. is so endearing to me. I just like her so much.
1: Oh, good, yeah, and I think there's a line where she asks herself if, you know, if she was ever the child that her parents deserved, you know, because that was sort of a real. She had that sort of sense of reality. She had to look at her life and and ask herself that question. Um, so yeah, I I really enjoyed writing that one. I have to say,
0: (laughs) I just think it's so. Um, it's a, it's a perfect example of a flash fiction or a short story where you completely um, and it is a little magical, as you've said. Like it's it's not a traditional way to learn about a character, right. um, but it it's so concise and yet you have this big understanding of life and and regrets or not regrets about life and just really. Uh, it's beautifully done. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you very
0: much. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a great great short story. The Hedonist. The ground came up and smashed into Amber's right cheek. Confetti fluttered away from her mouth as the last breath escaped her. And she felt the coldness of the hard concrete beneath her satin-clad hip. As the chilly sensation slowly faded from her bones, so did the pressure of the unyielding ground, and she felt a strong vacuum suck her up into the atmosphere. She saw herself, many feet below, lying in a fetal position where she had slumped to the ground outside the church. The mother-of-pearl-colored dress she had searched for for months lay in a perfect semicircle around her. Her slim ankles protruded from the soft folds of the skirt, like the hands on a clock, showing exactly 6.20 on the ground. She hovered high above herself and looked down on the heads of her family as they crowded around her limp form, shaking her, patting her face. Their voices were far away, Distant, and yet oddly clear. Amber, sweetheart. Her mother. Amber, honey. Will, her husband of fewer than ten minutes. Oh, God, can you hear me, Ams? Her maid of honor and best friend of nineteen years, Louise. Call an ambulance, someone. Do it now. Father Brightman. The family priest, his white cassock pooling around his knees as he knelt at her side. She wanted to tell them that she could hear them all, that she was here, but her voice caught in her throat, silent. Is this it? Amber floated above these people she loved as a gentle breeze ruffled her hair, and on a reflex, her hand went up to her head. She couldn't feel her hair under her fingers, but she knew it was there. The version of herself on the ground remained still. So, this was it, then. She felt a momentary flash of anger at the irony of it all. And then, a wave of warmth overtook her. A supportive bubble of calm settled beneath her and she let herself be cradled. It had been a beautiful ceremony with just a small group of people, important to both her and Will. They'd written their vows, but not the schmaltzy, you're my best friend forever, kind of vows. More the, I promise to tell you the truth, not to finish the ice cream without you, and never to ask you why you need to leave as long as you come back, kind of vows. Will had given her a ring, and because it had been important to him, she'd agreed to wear it, despite her belief that she didn't need any symbols to seal her commitment to him. Amber watched her parents far below. Her mother wept as her father folded his tailcoat and pushed it gently beneath his daughter's head. She had struggled against their parenting and opinions for most of her life. Her teen years had been particularly difficult, especially when, at 15, she had run away. She'd taken a dead-end job in a sad seaside town and waited two months to contact them. She'd made them suffer then. And looking down on the crowns of their heads below, she was doing it again now. Sadness overtook her as she realized that she couldn't even give them this special day without a tiny artery in her head popping and a searing pain behind her left eye sending her tumbling to the ground in a heap of mother of pearl. She wondered if this was the final disappointment she could deliver. She wondered. If she'd ever been the daughter they deserved her mom had criticized her heavily for many of her choices as a young woman her blue-tipped hair in high school her decision to take a year out to travel through europe before college then dropping out to pursue painting through an apprenticeship and also for the way she moved between relationships with a seemingly dispassionate attitude to the ones she was leaving behind. Her mother had tearfully called her behavior hedonistic, accusing her of putting the pursuit of pleasure before all other, loftier ambitions that they held for her, things they knew she was capable of. Contrary to her mother's belief, Amber knew that she had chosen the path she was on because she was pursuing something more profound than pleasure, happiness. Will had allowed her the freedom she craved, without agenda or expectation, both in her work as an artist and in her constant need to travel. He called her his favorite nomad and would sit on the end of the bed and talk to her while she packed for her next adventure. She loved him for letting her go, to be who she was, with no guilt or emotional accounting. Eventually, after years of peripatetic work in several cities, from Florence to Santa Fe, she had realized that her heart just didn't beat properly when she was away from him. That had been why she had finally decided, after five years of his asking, to marry him. Today in the small stone church she'd attended as a child. But now, thanks to that tiny artery, there would be no more happy reunions with him after yet another road trip to an artist's colony. No more laconic vacations. No more Thanksgivings or Christmases with her parents. No children to run around the yard or draw pictures for their grandparents' refrigerator. Perhaps she had deprived them all of those things with her choices. She had procrastinated like a pro when pressured by her parents to settle down, get a real job, grow up. Time and again, when cornered, she'd packed a bag and walked away, leaving them frustrated and asking themselves what they had done wrong. There was no denying it, and as she watched her new husband and family circulating around her non-responsive body on the ground. She knew she had left them behind for the last time. Perhaps her mother was right, as, after all, this probably was the ultimate hedonistic act, moving toward her own bliss, not bound by the earth or other people's needs or expectations of her. Amber filled her lungs with sweet air and felt herself moving with the gentle breeze. She knew she had to go, but wanted to touch Will one more time. So, willing herself closer to him, she moved down toward the ground, swimming through the atmosphere until she was behind him. The back of his freshly cut hair tipped his shirt collar, and as he knelt, Now cradling her upper body in his arms, she felt him rocking her. She reached out to place her hand on his face, but her hand was no more than a whisper of light. I'm sorry, Will. I'm so sorry. And it was just so um, delightful to get to know you. Thank you very much.
1: You too. It's been really great chatting with you.
0: Alison's latest novel, Her Last Chance, launched this month. You can find it and all her novels on her website. I'll put it in the show notes. Thanks for listening.